Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. We all come to this table with the understanding of the grace that's being offered at this table, the mercy that's being demonstrated from this table. What does it mean to take from this bread or drink of this cup in an unworthy manner? I believe in understanding and receiving of this without understanding what this means, the significance of the giving of the body of Christ for us, the significance of the shedding of the blood of Christ for us. In today's message, Pastor David emphasizes the need to submit to one another under God's authority. Paul instructed the Corinthian church that submitting to God extends to our interaction with others as well. If we mistreat people and don't consider the needs of others as important as our own, then we're not taking God's teaching seriously. God's work for us is so significant that we must submit no matter what it takes. For God loves us and holds the keys to eternity. And here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, The Beginning of Order. As, as he gets into verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I don't praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Wow, that's not very nice, Paul. But that was the problem with the church. They were coming together, but not under the, for the right reasons. Listen to what he says, verse 18. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Remember, this is one of the first things that he dealt with here in 1 Corinthians. You come in, you've got these different cliques going on. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of of Christ. And he says, man, these divisions bring conflict within the body. Verse 19, he says, you make these factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. In other words, you're lifting up these different leaders And you do that by making these little cliques, these little groups, and then you exalt man. You lift up these different individuals among you. And again, this whole issue of the factions or the divisions, what a major problem that was. How can a church move in harmony? How can a church move as one? How can a church move powerfully within the community that God has them planted if they're all divided and going all different ways? These divisions, they cause conflicts. They they cause jealousies. And it was apparent that they weren't moving as one body in Christ. He goes on even in, in the actions of their worship together. Look at verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one of you takes his own supper ahead of others. And one's hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? 
Or do you despise the church of God and shame, and shame those who have nothing? Shall I say to you, shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. It's apparent from the statements like this and others that we see within the New Testament that, that the believers probably partook of communion on a regular basis. They would come together, whether that would be in house churches or whether they came together in, in a much larger group. That, that, that time of the Lord's Supper, that time of communion was, was a normal, consistent part of their worship time together. Probably also uh, sharing of a meal together, that kind of fellowship. And, and again, it looks very much like uh, uh, the work of uh, within house house churches. You come together, we invite you on over. We're going to come over here and we're going to worship together. We're going to have a great fellowship. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to break bread in the Lord's Supper. We're going to share in communion together. We'll get into the study and the teaching of God's word at that point in time. So as they came together, the problem was more than coming to these meetings with, with uh, too many of them, I'm sorry, too many of them were coming to these meetings kind of ahead of time. Not because they wanted to get there and, and, and pray for the meeting. Not because they wanted to come and so much fellowship with other believers. They, they were coming because they knew that there was food and drink at the meeting. And so they would come and they'd get there early and they'd, they'd start slamming it down. And by the way, I don't think it was grape juice that they were drinking because I think you'd have to drink a whole lot of grape juice to get drunk. He says, you guys would come and one's hungry and another's drunk. Why? Because they'd come into these houses and they'd just either gorge themselves and by the time the other guys got there, there was nothing left. This wasn't an attitude of humility toward each other. It was an attitude of gluttony. It was an attitude of division. All of this was going on, again, in the name of the Lord. They would say, no, we're coming together for worship time together. But no, they weren't. They were coming together for absolute personal reasons, for reasons of pride. They were coming to these things, again, not to hear from the Lord, but to, again, get from themselves, to partake in the food and the drink before the rest of them even arrived. Again, Paul says, I can't praise you for this. I don't praise you at all. Oh, we had a great meeting last week. Really? Did you? Oh, yeah, man, the house was full. We had tons of people there. But again, this comes to the fact that attendance isn't the deal. The heart of the ones that are there is the deal, though. Do they really come with that attitude and that hunger for the things of Christ in their life? Or do they come simply for a social gathering or to see what they can get in, in, in a, very, a very fleshly way out of it? That we would come together on a regular basis just with a hunger and thirst for the things of God. That we would come together on a regular basis with that attitude of humility toward each other, that love for each other and care for each other that we're willing to put another first before ourselves, that we're willing to, again, encourage others, that we're willing to, again, take the lesser in order that someone else might get the more, that we'd come together, even as the Word declares, when we come together. Jesus teaches, we looked at it when we were looking at Luke. Uh, James also speaks about it. You come together instead of looking for the best seats. No, you come in with humility. Let others take the best seats. These kinds of an ideas. So they took communion on a regular basis. Maybe every time they came together, they would come in and yet there was problems with it. They were coming in not with the right attitude, not with the right heart. 
And then Paul, I believe, at this point in time, says, let me share with you. And I believe that this next portion here, beginning verse 23, Paul really, really speaks, not out of frustration, but I believe at this point in time, he really speaks from the very depth of his heart, uh, the, the closeness and the importance of what communion or the Lord's Supper really means to him. Look what he says there, beginning verse 23. I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. Now let me stop right there. Paul wasn't there in the upper room experience, was he? No, no. Paul was an apostle that was born out of season. Uh, it, was, it was long after that that Paul came to Lord. So the Lord had to reveal to Paul personally this whole idea of what this communion is all about. And Paul says, man, I received this from the Lord and I delivered it to you. When did he deliver it? Not, not in 1 Corinthians, it's not in these writings. I believe he delivered it to him while he was ministering there in person when that church was first starting. He said, man, let me share what this is all about. Let me share the importance of this bread, the importance of this cup to you. He says, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me stop right here and just kind of take a quick little sidebar over here. Verse 24, when in your particular version, does it say, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. How many of you have broken for you in your version? Okay. How many of you have something different? whether it be given or, okay. Nancy, what does yours say? Given for you. Somebody else have that? Okay, Don, same thing. That idea. Actually, the word there is better interpreted as given for you in, in two ways, in the definition of the word as well as in the fulfillment, really, of what took place in Jesus' life. Was Jesus broken? No. Remember when they, they came and said, hey, let's end this thing, go and break their legs so that the two thieves would die, so that Jesus would die. We could get this crucifixion thing done because, again, the Passover was coming. They wanted to get finished with it. And they came up and they broke the legs of the thieves. And when they came up to Jesus, what took place? What happened? Yeah, he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. And so they put the spear through his side, pierced his heart and out came water and and blood from his heart and from the sack around his heart. You see, that's a prophetic fulfillment that none of his bones were broken. Why? Because he was also the Passover lamb, and the bones of the Passover lamb could not be broken. You see, when it says, and and for years, you know, I've looked at that, and actually it was only a, a few years ago, someone came in and corrected me, hey, you need to really look at that, because he wasn't broken. And he didn't say, this is my body which is broken for you. No, it's my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul goes on in verse 25. He says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. 
This do as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. This new covenant, it's the, it's the new deal, it's the new agreement that I'm making. The old covenant was the covenant that God made with Abraham. You remember as God called Abraham and had Abraham take all of these animals and split them right down the middle and lay them out on the ground and Abraham was stood there to watch and take care and keep the wild animals off and finally Abraham kind of dozed off in the evening but yet it was during that time that God came literally as, as just a, a wall of fire in between those animals and consumed the, the two halves and the understanding of what the covenant was that though in those days in that culture is that if you and I were to make a covenant agreement together, we would take animals. We would split them down the middle and put these animals on both sides together and we would walk down between these two animals with both halves on, on either side of us. And the agreement would be, may God do to us as to these animals, if either one of us break this agreement. Now, that's a pretty powerful agreement. It's not, okay, you know, I'll pay you a thousand bucks if I break the agreement. No, may God do to me like we've done to these animals if I break that agreement. But again, that interesting thing with that covenant relationship that God made with Abraham, Abraham didn't walk down the middle, only God did. And that's why, again, the promise that we have in God is so strong. It's not an agreement that, again, we're responsible for. It's an agreement that God is responsible for. We submit to that agreement with him, but he is the one that makes a covenant agreement with us. In the same way, now Jesus comes to his disciples in that upper room, and he says, this cup is, again, the new covenant of my blood. And again, is it a covenant where you've made blood vows or you've probably heard of blood vows, you know, uh, when I was a kid, okay? You know, uh, like uh, we'd, uh, we'd do stupid stuff like cut our hand and get blood and then we'd shake somebody else's hand who's done the same thing. We'd make like a blood vow together. You know, didn't mean a thing, didn't do anything. But the vow that Christ made for us was all of his blood. He gave his life blood and we gave nothing in that arrangement. You understand that? We simply surrender to all that he's given. And that's what Paul says, man, this is what I received from the Lord. He said that this cup is a covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you do, as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, how often did he say to drink it and to do that? How often? As often as you do. He doesn't give a standard. Some churches have communion Every Sunday, they share the Lord's Supper every Sunday. My, my son's church does that. At the close of the service, they have communion together. We do it uh, once a month here. Some churches only do it on, on Wednesday night. They have what they call believers meeting. They figure, well, usually on Wednesday night, you don't have too many visitors. So it's just, you know, the, the home group that comes in and visits. And so we can share communion. Some people have what they call closed communion. If you're not a member of my church, you don't get to share in communion, which I think is like totally off base. If you're a member of the body of Christ, I don't care if this is your church, you're passing through or whatever. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you're my brother, you're my sister, we share in that communion together. Jesus simply says, as often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. Paul is trying to bring this church of Corinth back to the fact that, hey guys, this communion, this Lord's table that we come to, this isn't a point in time of feasting and, and, and drinking and, and just gorging ourselves with food. This isn't a time that's about you. This is a time that's about him. 
It's a time of, again, coming back in remembrance of him as I partake of that bread, the giving of his body, as I drink of that cup, the shedding of his blood. And then he says, for as often, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what's so exciting about doing communion because each time we do it, that means we're one time closer to his coming back, amen? So maybe we need to do it a little bit more often. I don't know, but uh, each time we do it, we proclaim his death until he comes. He says, and then in verse 27, very important verse. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let each man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many, my version says, sleep. You know that again, in, in, in the context of the word, that means they, they've died, they've passed away. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Before we get on into the judging part, judging what, what, what does he mean? He says, eating this bread or drinking this cup in an unworthy manner. Does that mean if I come in on, on that Sunday that we're having communion and, oh man, I've got unconfessed sin in my life? Is that what he's talking about? I don't believe that it is. Because, you know, if that was the case, the fact is, none of us would be worthy. None of us would be worthy. None of us come to this table in perfection. We all come to this table with the understanding of the grace that's being offered at this table, the mercy that's being demonstrated from this table. What does it mean to take from this bread or drink of this cup in an unworthy manner? I believe in understanding and receiving of this without understanding what this means. The significance of the giving of the body of Christ for us. The significance of the shedding of the blood of Christ for us. If we come again in a manner that says, you know, that, that takes it too lightly, that takes it, you know, flippantly, that takes it with an attitude that again lessens the importance of that meal as we t- partake it together. I believe that in that, Not only are we suffering in our own Christian walk at that point in time, because I don't believe that we can come to this table with that kind of an attitude unless we're in a backslidden way, unless we're in a way that, man, we're not walking in the closeness of the Lord and really desiring. And I'm not talking about one sin or, man, uh, man, I failed yesterday. I haven't gotten that right there. What I'm talking about is an ongoing attitude, an ongoing lifestyle of a believer that comes to this table and partakes of it without really realizing, man, what God has done for me. What God has done for me. In all my failures, in all my weakness, in all my disobedience, in all my rejection of him, yet Christ died for me. That's why we can come to that table guilty of sin, but we're forgiven by the grace of God with that understanding of what that table represents to us. That table represents to us that even while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the Holy One of God took upon himself the 
the sin of all mankind in order that we could become the righteousness of God. You see, it's not about being perfect as we come to that table, but it's about coming to that table with the understanding, man, this is what God has done for me. This is what God has done in spite of me. This is what God has done in order to obtain me and bring me into his family. He says, some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and many of you sleep. The reason I speak, I believe that he's speaking here totally about believers here, because he uses that word sleep. And in almost every context within the Scripture in the New Testament, when it's speaking about believers who have passed away, it speaks of them sleeping. Others die, but for believers, they sleep. He says, if we had sit in verse 31, if we had judged ourselves... We wouldn't have to be judged. That's why he says, man, examine yourselves. Elsewhere, Paul says, examine yourself. See if you're in the faith or not. Here, he speaks about, man, examine yourself. See, see if you're really ready to partake of that meal. Do you, do you understand the significance of it? Are you, are you receiving the significance of it? He says in verse 32, when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we might not be condemned with the world. Beloved, I would much, much rather be disciplined and chastened by the Lord now than be judged with the world later. I'd much, much rather be brought to the woodshed. Some of you under 30 may not know what being brought to the woodshed is, but I would rather be brought to the woodshed by the Lord than again be at the place of the judgment of the world. You see, because the word tells us that it's a loving father that disciplines his children. And so when I'm disciplined by the Lord, when I'm brought again under that chastisement of the Lord, I know he's doing it for his love, because of his love for me, to bring me back into correction, to bring me back into a discipline of my life. So Paul kind of wraps it up here in verse 33. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. Would you guys just get in line and behave yourselves? I, I love the simplicity of this. You know. He says, if, you, if anyone is hungry, hey, why don't you eat at home before you come to church, okay? So that when you come to the potluck, you know, you know, you're not busting through the line to get in first because you're starving to death. But again, as I've shared with you before, we don't do potlucks because we don't do pot anymore and we don't believe in luck anymore. We have fellowship dinners, Okay. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home unless you come together for judgment. Oh, yeah, the rest of this stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll set that stuff in order when I come. So you know that there's more that he wants to deal with here. He says, but uh, you know what? When I get there, I'll, I'll straighten out these other things. I love the simplicity. I love the directness. And I love the heart of Paul. Paul has the heart of, of, of a pastor but he's also got a heart of, of, of a real man that says, man, you guys frustrate me to no end. And I'm just, I'll, I'll straighten it out when I get there. So just wait for each other when you come together. And if you're hungry, eat before you get there. This whole idea of a humble heart, a desire to serve and to love one another above ourselves, I believe that's a keystone for the Christian life, to walk in humility, walk with a heart of service toward each other, and absolute total submission to the Lord. When you see a man that's in submission to the Lord, 
It's fairly easy for his wife to be in submission to him. If you see a man in rebellion against the Lord, it's no doubt that the wife is in rebellion also. You see, because there's an order to things. And when any of that order gets out of order, it becomes a mess. We all have a great responsibility before the Lord. The greatest of our responsibilities is to be submitted to Christ in all ways. That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share with you how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are thankful you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, we'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Here's Pastor David with more information. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande for a time of worship and fellowship and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning and on Wednesday and Saturday evenings at 6.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.